Welcome to Equipping Hour. We are continuing our series on respectable sins. I'm going to pray to start us. Today we're dealing with the sins of anxiety, frustration, and discontentment. So if, if those don't bother you, if they're never an issue in your life, you can just go ahead and leave. Go, go eat brunch and come back for corporate worship. But for the rest of us uh, who, who deal with these sins, this, hopefully the Lord will use this to uh, both convict and also to encourage us in the gospel and give us resources for fighting these sins. So let's pray and ask for his blessing on our time. God, we thank you for gathering us as your church. We thank you for the salvation that is in Christ, the abundant mercy and forgiveness and the imputed righteousness that we have in him, as well as the power by your Holy Spirit to see our sin for what it is and to uh, walk in newness of life, to live in a Christ-like manner and to be transformed into the image of Christ and it's in that hope and it's in the confidence of that power that we study sin because uh, you've written your law in our hearts and we want to root sin out of our lives. We want to live for you. So we pray that you'd please work to that end among us today. Give me clarity. Give me faithfulness as I teach these things. Give us all ears to hear, open eyes and uh, alertness, not only as to what your word says, but what's going on in our hearts and what uh, what you would say to us about um, our patterns of anxiety and frustration and discontentment and how we can walk in repentance. And we pray that you be glorified in our midst as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, Matt kicked off the series by introducing this concept of respectable sins. Now when we say respect, it's based on this book by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. When we say that, of course, we don't mean that they are truly respectable in the sight of God and they shouldn't be respectable in our Sight, but what we mean is sins that we tend to treat as acceptable, sins that we tend to overlook and underappreciate as sin. And so we started last week by looking at this. Can anyone remind us what were the two sins particularly that we looked at last week? Ungratefulness, yeah. So just the sin of failing to give God the thanksgiving and gratitude that He's due as our Creator and our Provider and Savior. Yeah, and Annalie. Ungodliness. What's a kind of rough and ready uh, definition of ungodliness? Ungodliness, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Emily. Yes, it's, it's basically godlessness. It's, it's living without regard for God, without uh, thought of God, and without, um, you know, all that God deserves from us. Reverence and attention and adoration. It's just a godless way of going about our lives. And even, you know, Matt pointed out, even if we have some moments in our day when we'll pray or something like that, but then we'll kind of, you know, we end our quiet time and then it's like, okay, off to my life, you know, and we aren't continuing to bring God into that. That's ungodliness, even if it's not necessarily the proactive, unrighteous deeds. It's still, uh, there's, God is kind of absent from our consideration. So those are the things we looked at. Um, And uh, today we're looking at a second kind of cluster, natural grouping of sins. And that's what we're going to do as we move through this series. Each week, we're kind of looking at sort of natural groupings of sins that have some kind of relation to each other. And the ones we're looking at today all revolve around the core issue of how we respond sinfully when things might not go our way or aren't going our way. Okay, so sinful responses to negative, contrary, undesirable circumstances. And as this, the, basically what we're doing throughout this whole course, we're first going to define what the sins are, and then we'll examine how they work and what's so sinful about them, 
how they show up in our lives, and then what we can do by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ working in us, what we can do to combat them. And uh, we learned yes last week some of the just basic biblical principles of fighting sin that really will apply to everything we learn, which is things like um, meditating on scripture and prayer and being involved with God's people, including others in, in the fight against sin, others to hold us accountable, to encourage, uh, etc. There's some of these broad issues that will come up, and then there'll be some particulars that we look at as well. So these are all sins about responding to contrary or undesirable circumstances. And this, like always, this will be more fun and more interesting if we have interaction. So ask questions or uh, comments that could help us kind of um, think together about these things. This is by its very nature. You know, we did this whole series on the Holy Spirit, which there was application certainly, but that was a more of a theological study. This is very much a, a practical life issue. These are sins. So uh, this is the kind of thing where on the application, it really benefits especially from discussion and, and questions. So uh, feel free, as always, but feel free to do that. So um, let's start with talking about anxiety. Um, what are so, I'll ask you, what are some circumstances that might make you anxious? Just to get us thinking about this, this uh, sin. Yeah, Zach. Car trouble. Car trouble. Okay, so let's paint a scenario. You are kind of running late for work or you need to get there at a certain time and you're heading out to your driveway and you get in and you try to start it and it doesn't start. Okay, that feeling in your heart <laughs> and you're and literally in your heart, like, doo, 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 doo. That's a, you're feeling anxiety, right? Or there could be any number of ways that that, that happens. Anxiety over car trouble, yeah. Anna Lee. Um, unexpected change. Unexpected Yeah. Unexpected change in a work or living situation. So, say you had a deadline for some work project, and you're like, "It's gonna be, it's gonna be tough, but I think we can make it." And then you have a meeting, and you find out, "Oh, we need it done a week earlier," and you're like, "What?" You know, like we can't. You know that that's anxiety. That could be an example of unexpected changes. Uh, I think I saw Randy, your hand up. Yeah. National and international events. International events. What's going to happen with X country and Y leader? And oh yeah, and and the news. Uh, they're very. Not that there's not real concerns, but also the news can be very good at stirring up anxiety. They're they're that's kind of their specialty and how they present uh, events. So I saw uh, Matt. I'll go Matt, Didi, and then Gary, and then we'll we'll go we'll move on. Having to plan a tough conversation. Having to, you know, there's going to be a tough conversation. So relational. Tensions where you're like, uh-oh, there's something that I'm going to have to say to someone, maybe confront, or this may not go well. Absolutely. Didi. Uh, a health-related issue, an injury. An injury, health-related issue. Often what that's sparking is what's going to happen kind of questions. What, what about, what about uh, the implications of this broken leg or whatever we have or, or, or a diagnosis that's, that's very troubling? Yeah, Gary. Yeah, bad choices your children or a loved one makes. Yeah, so bad choices that someone you love makes. And again, I think often we're, we're thinking about what the future implications might be of those choices. And what all, the, the reason I'm kind, of, I'm, I'm kind of talking about the future is I think probably what's, what's always happening with anxiety is that it is, it is a fearful and uneasy response at some future prospect of difficulty. There's always some, some anticipation of the future and we're, we're, it's, it's fundamentally, it's a form of fear. It's going, what, what about when X happens? Or what about if X happens? 
And in all these situations, right, like if you think about, oh, you're, you're, you're stuck in traffic and you're late for an appointment, what you're thinking about is, what if I miss my appointment? What if this person's opinion of me suffers? Or I, you know, it took me a month to get this medical appointment and I'm going to have to wait for another month to reschedule. You're always, what really what's happening is you're afraid of what's the implications going to be, what's going to happen about this injury, this bad choices this loved one is making, etc. It is a fearful and uneasy response at a future prospect of difficulty. So anxiety is for seeing bad, and it might be looking at bad things that have a slight chance of happening, or it might be looking ahead at something that's pretty much certain to happen in the future. It doesn't really, it could, it doesn't really matter how certain the thing is, right? We could be, sometimes we're anxious about things that everyone around us would say, that's irrational that you even think that might happen. It doesn't matter, right? We still might be feeling anxious about it. Or it could be something that's pretty much certain. Um, now, in exceptional cases, I do want to say, anxiety can be rooted to bodily issues that would go beyond simply the spiritual and heart level. And so I just want to just say that, that it is important to recognize what we're dealing with here is, is kind of ordinary run-of-the-mill anxiety um, that isn't related to, for instance, hormonal issues. There can be real concerns there that need to be dealt with. So I, I, don't want, I just want to get that out there that, that if that's something that needs to be explored with you, don't take this to mean that it's always only sin. I would say it's always the spiritual dimension is always relevant to our anxiety. I'm not saying there's ever a situation where it doesn't matter what's going on in our hearts before God. But I do want to say if there's an extraordinary circumstance and maybe bodily issues, that's a category we want to maybe have a conversation with elders and others that, that, that could help care for you. But we're talking about typically anxiety, it's sin. It's sin. Consider God's words about it. Philippians. Can someone read, uh, three readers, someone to read Philippians 4, 6. Can I have a volunteer for that one? Uh, Joshua, thank you. And then someone for 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Matt Boyd, thank you. And then someone else who's really brave to read Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. So, Don, you got that? So, um, first, we'll hear from Philippians 4, 6. Yeah, go ahead, Josh. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay. Let's also hear then from 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Good. And uh, really, probably, all these are, are reflections of and expand uh, and. and kind of re-teachings of what Jesus' original uh, teaching on anxiety in Matthew 6. This is kind of the classic biblical text that the others are kind of echoing. So would you, Don, read from, um, this is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the, of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, 
and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thanks, John. Um, this passage is a lot we could draw out of this, and we certainly don't have time to be exhaustive, but... This is a good demonstration of what I said about how anxiety is fundamentally a future-oriented perspective. It's a, it's a response, a sinful response to a future-oriented perspective. Do you see, for instance, the future orientation in verse 31? Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These are all head-spinning about the future. And, um, you know, his example of the, the birds of the air, they don't gather into barns. Now, in the broader biblical teaching, Jesus is not teaching against saving and planning for the future. The Proverbs are clear on that. But there is something in anxiety of, of storing up for the future, right? And if we can't see how the future need is going to get met, there's this, uh-oh, you know, my barn is empty. What if I starve in a month? You know, that's, that's the heart of anxiety. What am I going to eat? And so Jesus says, well, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So he's saying, he's telling us how to think about the future. So just to point out, anxiety really at its heart is, it's a way of viewing the future. It's a way of, of anticipating bad things to come in the future with fear. So based on Jesus' teaching here, what would you say is the main thing, or just something that we're doing wrong, when we're being anxious. So in other words, what is so sinful about anxiety? Yeah, Randy. Not trusting in God's provision. Yeah, that's very well said. Not trusting in God's provision. Yeah, and that's a that's a very good way of saying it. Yeah, Blake. Not trusting God's wisdom. Not trusting his wisdom. Yeah, that's good. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, uh, basically it means that we're saying that we're basically putting ourselves in the driver's seat of our life saying that somehow things are under our control and mm -hmm. whatever things are happening in our lives uh, are not consistent with what should happen yeah. in our perspective. So basically we're saying God doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. So wisdom would be kind of the, the, the fitness with which God is controlling things. And we say, I have my way which, in which the world should run and in which, you know, if I had the if I had the steering wheel, the, my wise way that things my barn would be full right now, and if my barn isn't full right now, I'm and I'm worrying. I'm questioning God. You're not doing things the the right way. You're not. You're not. Your your plan isn't isn't very well planned out. Essentially, I saw a hand from Sherry, and then I think from Eric. Well, yeah. you just said what I was going to say. Questioning God. We're yeah. Constantly questioning Him with these what ifs, what ifs, yeah. what ifs, constantly. You know, as as if He has not. Exactly. And then, Eric, did you have something to think of? I didn't have my hand up. but Oh, oh sorry. Was there I someone guess, else over here that did? Well, but I'll say something anyway. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but, so I guess a lack of anxiety could be a problem, too, if, in fact, I'm resting in, in the reality that my barn is full. Yeah. 
Yeah. I would, you're right. If, what if your barn is full and you're not anxious? What's kind of interesting, I think, in Jesus' teaching elsewhere is you're going to find your full barn actually won't quell the anxiety. Because what's that guy who's like, I need a bigger barn? <laughs> because, the hard, because the hard issue, and this, we dealt with this in the contentment series, is like the hard issue is not the circumstance. It's the heart that goes like, I have to be able to account for my future. I have to be on, on kind of the horizontal earthly plane. I've got to figure it out. And so there will never be a barn big enough. Ultimate. That's the lie we think. If I had my barn full, I'd be happy. But then you fill your barn and you're like, yeah, but, you know, the winter of 84, you know, like, like it was, was really bad, you know. I'm not ready for that kind of an event. So, yeah, but that's a good point. There can be. Well, and what you're getting at, too, Eric, actually, I'll say, too, is another layer of this, and we'll talk about it in a moment, is, is anxiety can reveal idols. So it can reveal also that we find satisfaction in the wrong things. I heard one person say once, anxiety is what comes out when our idols are threatened. Whoa. <laughs> and so we'll get to that in a moment. But. Um, Jerry Bridges, kind of to Randy's point, and you all are very helpfully complimenting that main idea of trusting God and his provision. Bridges says that the main sin is a lack of trust in our Heavenly Father's provision. And, and he calls it distrust of God. He calls it a lack of acceptance of God's providence in our lives, which is not trusting God. Uh, and I want you to consider a three-legged stool uh, of God's three attributes of God, his goodness, his wisdom, and his sovereignty. And I'm glad, Blake, you mentioned wisdom. That's a huge part of this. His goodness, his wisdom, and his sovereignty. His goodness is he's benevolent. He, he pours out life and goodness to his creatures, especially those who in Christ are, are reconciled to him and are, are in his covenant of peace. He's good to us. He's our father. Then you have his sovereign power, which means he is in control of everything. Everything is, is in his hand. Everything is under his control. Then you have his wisdom, which simply means he knows how to bring about his good purposes. So not only are his purposes for us good and benevolent, he's not an evil God trying to do harm to us. So his goodness says, his goodness means he's going to do good for us. His wisdom means he knows how to do good for us. He knows how to get it done. That's what wisdom is, the prudence that can, that can um, bring about the desired good end. And so we know the Bible is very clear about his wisdom and sovereignty and goodness. And essentially... When we respond with anxiety and distrust his providence, what's happening is at least one of those legs on the three-legged stool is broken. We are, we are maybe all, maybe two, at least one of those legs. We are not trusting. We, it, maybe we don't believe he's good, and so we're not feeling secure in his steadfast love. Like, he really means good for me in Christ. I know that. He'll work all things for my good, etc. Or it may be that we don't really believe he's in control. So I like what you said, Randy, about forces in the world, uh, geopolitical, you know, leaders, things like this, where it can, we can feel very small and powerless in the face of those kinds of problems. So then the question is like, well, who's really, who's really steering the ship here? You know, and then that's the issue of, is the Lord sovereign over the hearts of kings, turning them like streams of water in his hand? Um, or it may be that we're disbelieving his wisdom, that um, we can't see how a future tragedy, if God were to ordain it, would in fact be used for our good and for the good of those who love God. So it may be, uh, Gary, like you said, we're afraid for a loved one. They're making bad choices that we can kind of easily foresee these leading to some very bad outcomes. And we ought not to presume, like, God would never let that bad outcome happen. There's no promises in Scripture about that. But what we can say is, if that person knows, knows the Lord, even that bad outcome would be used for their good. 
And God, the wise one, has the whole tapestry planned out, and he has the whole perspective and knows how to bring about his good ends in, those per- in my life and that person's life. So those are the three, again, the three-legged stool. If all those are there, we're going to trust God, and we're going to be able to put anxiety to death. Yeah, I see Blake, and then I saw Christy. Yeah. Um, I think one thing it's good to remember is that, you know, sometimes fear and distrust is sinful, sometimes it's not, but I think it's good to remember it's okay to have emotion mm-hmm. about anxious fears. It's okay to have, like, not doubt, but, like, emotions about whatever our fears are. You look at Jesus and Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. He trusted God, but at the same time, he was very troubled and very upset about mm-hmm. the cross, which is coming up very soon. And so he trusted God, and he put his he put himself in God's hands. But at the same time, he still was very upset. Yes. I think that's okay. Yes, so you're right to affirm emotion. You're right to affirm fear. I'll use this illustration. And, and Jesus in the garden is a great example of fear that is channeled toward a constructive and godly Direction, which is prayer. That anticipates where we're going. I want you to think about a bicycle. And fear is sort of this emotion of like the, the crank being like the, the crank being turned. If the bike is in gear and the chain is connected to a gear, it, that, that, mo- that movement on the crank is going to produce productive forward motion on the bicycle. And that would be maybe what Jesus is doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's, there's an emotion. There's fear. And what it's, but it's in gear. And it's leading to something constructive, which is prayer and trust in God. Or what we read in 1 Peter 5, cast your cares on the Lord. He cares for you. Jesus was doing that. He was casting his cares on, on his heavenly father. Anxiety is like the, the chain is slipped off of the gear. And it's just spin, you're just spinning your crank and it's not going anywhere. It's like, and that's, that's how it feels when you're anxious. Your mind is like, and, and <laughs> you're not, nothing's happening. Nothing productive is happening. So it's an unproductive emotional response of fear as opposed to a productive response which is taking that fear to the lord in prayer so yeah you're right we're not we don't want to we don't want to say emo- the emotion of fear is bad at all christy you had your hand up earlier well i dealt with like um dealt with this and i'm curious if it's because i don't know if it's wrong to have like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or pray um, or distract myself so I just want to avoid it altogether mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I mean it's kind of an irrational fear I mm-hmm. know that can I just <coughs> avoid it and yeah. is it sinful just to avoid something that causes you anxiety no I, I think you know the, the picture the Bible gives us, that's a good question are there situations where we're like man I'm really going to be prone to anxiety here should I just avoid that situation completely actually let's, that's a great question when we talk about fighting it which we'll get to in just a moment Let's talk about that because that's a really good uh, issue to bring up. And Christina, exactly on what Blake was saying was uh, like I think that that a lot of that emotion. I remember a few years back, and I always think about it. You were talking about I think it was out of Isaiah. You were talking about um, the juxtaposition of the unity of a grief about where what the circumstances are mm-hmm. right now or what are in the world or whatever, mm-hmm. and that thankfulness <coughs> that God is with us in, mm. in our. In our circumstances, yeah, and yeah, and, and that we can grieve the fact that this world is broken, mm-hmm. and that we are often suffering mm-hmm. um, from a broken world that is not has God created it to be. But um, and at the same time, also be thankful that God 
step into it with us and yeah. that we will, you know, that it will all be made right on one day. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting thing when we're thinking about anxiety because of that Philippians 4, 6 that says, do not be anxious, but with prayer and petition and thanksgiving in your heart that you're requesting them to God. It's just like it's yeah. a really, like, the acknowledging his care, his power, yeah. and his goodness in the process of that. Yeah, that's very true. The Philippians four, the the it's don't be anxious, but pray, give it to God, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Yeah. So to put it, yeah, what, to kind of summarize this, your very good point, Christina, is so so much of the difference between a godly emotional response, between a good emotional response and a bad emotional response, is godliness, which is is God invited in in all His power and goodness and wisdom? Is He invited into how we process this? Or is he absent? That's why, like Matt told us, ungodliness in some ways is, is kind of a root of all sin because it's like handling these problems with, with godlessness. That's what makes these, that's the sinfulness of sin, right? Like, it's not, it's not just fear. There's, fear is appropriate in certain circumstances. But it's godless fear that's like this unproductive, anxious toil versus a rolling of cast your cares on the Lord. Pray, 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 entrust it to him. Um, and then, yeah, Jordan, you had something to do? Just to add to that, something that I go to a lot is in Second um, Chronicles with Jehoshaphat. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the fear that he has, but then immediately says he turns his face to the Lord. And then the prayer that he has there is essentially walking through what God has done for Israel up to yeah. that point and saying, we can trust you, but then saying, we have no idea what to do. Yeah. We're totally overwhelmed, but we're trusting you. Yeah, so that Jehoshaphat in... Second Chronicles 20, I think. Great prayer. And the model of it is essentially like, we don't have the wisdom to plan this thing out. You do. Well, we look at your works in the past. It's like a way of saying, you have the wisdom. You have the power. You have the goodness. We don't have those things. And so we're, we're casting our cares on you. And we don't, that's the beautiful thing. It's like, we don't have to have the plan to figure it all out. We say, you have the plan to figure it all out. And that's a great model of that. Moving, um, can you move forward? Uh, John Newton writes, How happy are they who can resign all to him, see his hand in every dispensation, and believe that he chooses better for them than they possibly could for themselves. That's a good, that's a good uh, description of what it means to trust his wisdom. To, to say, God can choose better for me than I possibly could for myself. Uh, wow, that's a hard thing to say in anxious times, but it's, it is a picture of trusting his wisdom. Um, so let's move on to talking a little bit about strategies for fighting Anxiety. So um, Christy brought up the question of, is it ever appropriate simply to avoid circumstances that, that are prone, where we are prone to anxiety? Well, one thing that Bridges wisely and helpfully says is, is first of all, you're on the right track already in just saying, I'm identifying situations where I'm prone to anxiety. I'm identifying the, the, my, my vulnerable points for this sin. That's good. It's good to have that awareness. Where am I vulnerable? What are the relationships? What are the situations uh, where I'm, I'm particularly uh, at risk here? And what I'd say to your question, Christy, is, you know, Jesus says, the Bible gives us a pretty um, multifaceted approach to fighting sin. And one of them is, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Like, there's a sense of any stumbling block, if it's going to cause us to sin, we need to be serious about getting rid of it. Um, but there's also... 
Um, if, if the only tool in our bag was avoidance, that wouldn't really be dealing with heart issues, right? So uh, if we just had this approach, like, I will just always avoid every circumstance that leads to anxiety, um, well, that's not doing the fact that it's really a heart response. But that still is a good tool in the toolbox. So I would say fighting a multi-front war <laughs> in terms of our, our heart affections, but also there are times when we're like, this is a stumbling block. This kind of circumstance is a real stumbling block for me, and I ought to avoid it as I fight in these other ways. Um, I, I, I see that as an implication of Jesus' teaching on if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. But um, it's, it takes wisdom putting that in conversation with other biblical teaching on the heart, right? The heart instructions of cast your cares on the Lord, which you're trying to do too, right? Cast your cares on the Lord, uh, pray, give it to him. But you don't always have to put yourself in particularly anxiety-producing circumstances. Sometimes you can't avoid it. In the faithfulness to God's, you know, what you know is God's will for you. Like if there's a person is in your life and they are in your life, <laughs> a family member or something like that, and it's like, you have to, they ha, you have they may raise your blood pressure or whatever. You have to deal with that. You have to uh, use godly strategies to fight it. But yeah, um, yeah, Christina. And I think that uh, <laughs> um, we had bad times. Just tell you she can't give away her pills. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I tell them all the time I'm giving them away, and they think that I'm not actually. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I think that it also like. If our anxieties, our fears keep us from loving others or loving God better because we are avoiding an opportunity mm-hmm. that we're called to and loved, and that really is it. And I, I say that with like a number of personal like ideas popping into my head, yeah. like ways that maybe I've um, pushed my anxieties or fears onto other people, even my children, and saying like, mm-hmm. you know, please don't ever ride a motorcycle. You know, that I may be like trying to control my my um, future. Yeah. Associated with you know experiences. Or That's a good insight. We might, yeah, we might be burdening other people with don't do something that will make that I'm anxious about, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Randy, do you have something? To say? For me, I struggled with the phrase childlike faith because I'm an adult. How can I yeah. do that? And it, it took time to come to grips with that and apply it. And it is, in my, my experience, is God who he says he is, mm-hmm. and do I believe that? Mm-hmm. And I think for the circumstances that we've been sharing, I think it's important to remember God's resolution may not be temporal. It may be eternal. Yeah. So those bad things that you are frightened of may come to pass, but his mm-hmm. ultimate goodness is our eternal yes. blessing. It's the eternal horizon on which these promises of Romans 8.28, it'll work for good. Yes. That's the horizon on which we know locks, you know, rock solid, that's going to happen. It, it, it's not necessarily going to be in this life that we see the good. It's Yeah, what were you going to say? Um, like, I think... You know, John Owen writes, and this is kind of what I use as a litmus test when it comes to situations like Christy was referring to about being on a plane. I think John Owen writes in his book, Out of Temptation, that, and I'm paraphrasing here, if you can't obey or glorify the Lord by going or being in this situation, mm-hmm. 
then you shouldn't be in there. Like, right. for example, if I, if I know a sin is going to bother me if I go on the internet, mm-hmm. or if I go to a certain website, then it'd be foolish to enter in a temptation and put myself in that situation mm-hmm. if I'm going to give it a temptation every time. Yeah. So like, if I know I'm going to be super anxious and nervous about a situation, Mm-hmm. and I can't obey or glorify God mm-hmm. by being there, then I shouldn't be in there at all. Yeah, so you're right, and Owen's right, that situational avoidance is one very good strategy for fighting sin. It's not the, it can't be the only strategy, but it is one essential strategy that we need to be aware of. And there could any number of ways that could look. Like you said, there could be internet, there could be an issue with certain sins, etc. Um, the texts that we've, that we've seen... What strategies might we glean from the three passages from Philippians, 1 Peter and Matthew? Well, meditating on God as your Heavenly Father would be one. Just, just, just saturating your heart on that, that truth of God is your Father who cares and provides. Um, dwelling on the evidence of his wise, good, and sovereign care that's all around. That's what Jesus does. He goes, look at nature. You see these evidences of God's wisdom and sovereignty and goodness in nature, the birds, the, the, the grass of the field, and how much more you, not only um, benefiting from his providence, but of his special uh, covenantal care of those who are redeemed in Christ. Um, telling yourself, so just the self-talk is so much a part of our fight against sin, our fight for, for holiness, is just what we tell ourselves in our hearts. Like uh, telling ourselves, God will provide for tomorrow's problems tomorrow. God does not promise that he'll provide for tomorrow's problems today. My uh, anxiety that I don't have already in hand, the solution for tomorrow's problem, is an atheistic desire because I have counted out the possibility that tomorrow God will provide for tomorrow. So it's just telling yourself that God didn't promise tomorrow's stuff today. He promised tomorrow's stuff tomorrow. And so I'm going to wait on him and I'm going to see him provide tomorrow. So much of our anxiety, if we really believe that, would be ended right there. It's just like, just wait. He'll give it to you when you need it. He'll give it to you when you need it. Um, search your heart. This is kind of like Eric's point about, about what if your barn is full. Search your heart in prayer and invite the Lord to show you idolatry to repent of. Are God's kingdom and righteousness the most important thing to me? That's what Jesus says. Seek first the, the main things, God's kingdom and righteousness. And then everything else, well, all the lesser things will fall into place. Essentially is what he's saying. Well, we may not see the world that way. God's kingdom and righteousness is the most important thing and everything else is secondary. Um, our anxiety often is displaying our misplaced loves, our disordered loves, that we love other things more than God's kingdom and righteousness. And so we can say, wow, why am I so concerned about this thing? You know, we could ask God to show us what's going on in my heart. Maybe I've, I've, um, I'm not loving God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe, I've, I certainly don't, but maybe... That failure of love for God is being evidenced and manifested in my being so concerned with this, this possession um, or this uh, relationship or something like that. And then Philippians 4, with prayer and supplication, just pray about what's worrying you. Ask God to help. Ask God to uh, both to, to deal with your anxiety and to deal with the, the situation, the actual problem. Uh, the loved one making foolish choices. Entrust them to God. Pray, pray for him to work in their hearts. Uh, and Blake pointed out, Jesus did this in the garden. He was looking ahead at a very negative life circumstance, and he was afraid and distressed, and he prayed. He said, Father, take this cup from me if it's possible, but, but at the end of the day, 
not my will, but yours. That's, that's, the, that's a Philippians 4, 6 response in action, is taking it to the Lord in supplication. Uh, and then Philippians 4 also tells us to thank God. It's amazing. Ask him with thanksgiving. Fill your lips with thanksgiving. And we learned about this last week. Thanksgiving will just change your perspective. It will broaden your perspective. And you go, wow, there's one thing I'm fixated on not losing. And I'm getting really anxious and fearful. But when I'm maybe I have blinders and tunnel vision. And I'm not seeing all these zillion other things God has already given me. And already is doing for me, etc. And so that will, that will kind of restore balance to our perspective. To, to focus on thanksgiving like Philippians 4 says. Um. First Peter 5, it's interesting that it said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting your anxieties on him. So part of it is just the humility. I think someone said this earlier about the, the hu- oh, it was Jehoshaphat. Basically, there's humility in saying, we don't know what to do, our eyes are on you, right? That's a humble response. So to admitting to yourself in God, the future is too big for me. The future is too big for me. I simply can't outplan this. <laughs> I can't overpower this negative circumstance um um let's see and then just again the general counsel of figure out scripture texts that address this problem either the ones that we've looked at already here in this lesson or things about scripture texts about the attributes of god maybe if you're like i really just don't trust god's goodness i don't trust his fatherly care and love we'll find scripture texts that teach those things and memorize them meditate on them saturate your heart on them make them a basis for prayer and, uh, and let the Lord transform you in your mind, in your heart, by, by his word. Let the spirit work using his sword to do the cutting that he needs to do and, and grow you up in righteousness. So those are some. I don't know if anyone else has thoughts about how to combat anxiety or questions or remarks about what I've suggested. Yeah, Zach. Um, just kind of related to that last thing you're saying, I think, and I don't know if anyone else identifies with this, but I can sometimes have a tendency, if I'm struggling with something, to just... Google verses about the thing I'm struggling with mm-hmm. and look for like a really quick answer to like what does the Bible say about this problem? Yeah. And then I get the verse and then I Yeah. And I think there's there's something to be said for being patient in like mm-hmm. studying and reading the word and even interacting with other people about it mm-hmm. instead of just like really, really quickly. I mean sometimes you do just need scripture yeah. really quickly for Both sure. and. it's nice to have the resource. But yeah. there's something to be said for um, either involving other people in it or taking your time and letting letting the word speak to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, I would say both. Yeah, sometimes you just need you know, to find a verse on anxiety and there's some really good kind of low-hanging fruit. But yeah, there's also that, that longer, there are some maybe deeper ways that it's not on the surface of what's the verse about, but there's deeper maybe narrative ways that the Bible is dealing with this issue that just maybe as we read and as we converse with others and we ask God, Hey, show me. I'm dealing with the sin pattern. Just show me deeper and deeper truths from your word and, and deeper insight into my own heart. And you'll you'll probably have some eureka moments as you're just reading some, like a narrative in Second Chronicles or something where you're like, well, this isn't going to come up in verses about anxiety Google searches, but it's profoundly relevant. So, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah Christina. Um, with me, my temptation is to forget that God is for me. Mm-hmm. And- Mm-hmm. But, but I can forget so quickly that that is all mine in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's where I need to be, you know, like I have to stop and remind myself yeah. that God is for me. 
God is for us. Yeah. Right. End of Romans 8 is a really... So not just that he's out there a good, wise, sovereign God, but he is my good, wise, sovereign. In the covenantal care of Christ, the justifying work of Christ, he's for me. End of Romans 8 is particularly good. Like 31 to 34 is a, is a real key, but there's many others. Yeah. But that's a really important truth to be battling to believe. Yeah. Annalie. Yeah. Um, between like, um, let's say college choices or yeah. um, future job prospects, where it seems like we have some control in mm-hmm. the matter and the output, um, could we still respond in the same way? Yeah, it's a good question. What if we do have some power of the situation, and that's the anxiety? Is like the paralysis maybe of choice there's there's a lot we can say about that one thing i think is freeing is just recognizing that though we have a choice to make recognizing the limitations of our agency in it and going what we because we we have this view of like oh there's this you know if i take door a there's this whole life that that leads to and door b and this whole life that that leads to and i'm the one that's gonna that's controlling my future with this very very uh uh consequential choice and that's largely a myth um, a lot more, it would actually be very freeing to enter those choices going, yeah, my choices have consequences, but say like, what school do I choose or something like that? Really, the, the end of the day is humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and going, you know, it's really God's hand that's going to be walking me through either way. And the actual outcome of my life is, is in God's hand. Um, and that's, that's, that's very freeing and liberating. Let's, um, let's move on to talking about frustration. So, the next two sins, we looked at anxiety, which we said is a fearful future-looking response to, to negative circumstances. Frustration and discontentment are angry responses about present circumstances. So we're not looking ahead at the future. Something might go bad. We're looking at the present saying something is going bad. Something is happening. Not what if things don't go my way, but things aren't going my way. I don't like it. The difference is that frustration tends to be more acute and momentary. And discontentment is more of a slow burn, chronic issue. Uh, that's a helpful way of just thinking about the terminology, at least the way that, that Bridges uses it and the way we're using it here. Now, anger is not inherently wrong. There is such a thing as righteous anger, the Bible teaches. Uh, anger is an emotion of, of displeasure at things. Um, and and angry, anger can be righteous. It can be constructively displeasurable, for instance, at, at injustice. If we hear about somebody committing an injustice about an, against another person, we should feel angry about that. God does. We should. Uh, but frustration, what we're talking about here, is an unholy form of anger, of which there are many. <laughs> um, it's a response that is upset, not because God's righteousness has been corrupted, not because God's name has been dishonored, but because I've been inconvenienced, or my desires have been disappointed, or my expectations have not been met. It's an anger that is me-oriented, not, God, not centered on God's glory. Again, the question comes down, is it godly or ungodly? Is it about God or me? Um, and and even, righteous anger can be concerned and angry about people made in God's image who are the victims of injustice too. But again, it's because it's, it, it's God-oriented. Frustration is a lot more me-oriented. It's, I'm not getting my way. Um, what are some things, again, life circumstances that could lead you to frustration? Yeah, Christina. Um, this is the, I was having a 
conversation with a sweet sister in Christ the other day, and, and we were recognizing where, you know, we or people we love have anger as a pain response. Yeah. Um, so yeah. anger as a pain or fear response. Yes, anger can be responses of pain or fear, yeah. They can be, it can arise from other emotions. Um, shame, too, can lead to anger or fear. Yeah, often that's under, underneath anger. Um, and frustration can be uh, manifestations of that in the moment, yeah. yeah. Any? Yeah, Jeff. Pride is a very key source of anger. Pride is a key source of anger. So pride threatened. So if we're embarrassed by something that happens... We're proven wrong in you know something we predicted or, or we we're cer- certain about maybe in the workplace. I'm certain that it's the, you know, and then we're proven wrong. We can be frustrated and angry because our pride has been violated. Absolutely. Yeah, like losing a job, whether it's because of our fault or if it's not our fault. Yeah, losing a job. Now that could be anxiety. How am I going to provide for my future? But also it could be frustration. Like that, ugh, it shouldn't have happened that way. Um, and, and whether or not it is our fault. Um, often my frustrations have to do with combinations of things. Like, like, a lot of my examples I give have to do with time. Like feeling crunched on time. And while I'm trying to kind of get something done and I'm crunched on time, I bump my head on a cupboard. This is a tall guy occupational hazard. We bump our heads a lot. Some, some of you can relate. Bumping your head when you're kind of in a hurry is like, instant level 10 frustration you're like <laughs> um, or spilling something when you're already in a hurry like you're trying to get out the door and you spill your coffee or something like that like um, it could be a response because someone's sinning against me and I'm frustrated like you did it again um, or we're trying to how about this you're trying to accomplish something that you expect yourself to be able to accomplish like assembling a product and you're like, I, I'm, a, I'm a relatively competent person, a relatively intelligent person. I should be able to build this Ikea piece of furniture, right, or, or this toy for my kid. And you start trying to do it, and it's not working. And you're trying and trying. You're, like, stuck on this one step. It's like, the picture is so unclear, and it's not working the way it's supposed to. And that can really raise the frustration level, right? But it's, I don't like what's happening, and I'm angry about what's happening. It's not the way it should be. And often frustration, again, we're talking about respectable sins, sins that often fly under the radar that we are doing and don't realize we're sinning. Frustration can be, we can, we're very good at justifying frustration to ourselves and being like, well, he's just being, you know, or this is just an objectively bad situation. Well, it is. But and we, might, we might be telling ourselves, I'm not sinning. I'm not, I'm not um, unrighteously angry. But one thing, like, frustration will often make itself heard in our voice, our tone of voice, the way we speak. I love Psalm 4.4, which is a good verse on righteous anger. It says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. That's amazing. So this righteous anger, that's, it's ponderous, it's reflective, and it's often silent. It doesn't mean there's never a time to speak in righteous anger, but this idea of think, ponder, reflect, in your righteous anger, I would think imply there is prey. Um, frustration, which is a variety of ungodly anger, will often show up in our words and in our tone of voice. An edge of hostility creeping in as we're addressing that person that yet once again has failed us or is, is irritating us with their behavior. Even, potentially, believe it or not, even our children might frustrate us. <laughs> 
And our, our, our edge of irritation in our voice can betray that, that we're frustrated, we're angry. Why don't you get this yet? Um, so what should I do if I'm running late and I'm, oh, I'm, I've got to get there and I bump my head on a cupboard door and it hurts? What should I do? What, what would be a godly response to that situation? Get some ice. Yeah, yeah. Just deal with it constructively. What about emotionally? Or yeah, yeah, Christina. Be quiet. Be quiet. Because I, I mean, it's not, it's not sin for me to not like that. Okay, we're not stoic. It's not like this is good. This is you know. No. It's 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 we're human beings with bodies and hurt. Like ow, that's not good. I don't like that. But we can be quiet. Not, yeah, not in the sense of not saying ow, but not in the sense. But with me, it's like if I'm if I'm angry or frustrated. Yeah. Well, you're right. Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely agree with you. Often it's just there's a vocalization that actually can can be a, a form of manifesting that anger unrighteously, like ah, you know, like a yelling or talking well, angrily to others. Around us to carry the burden of our, yeah, of our anger. yeah. So there can be an internal just God help me keep this in, and yeah, Eric, someone else left the cabinet open. Yeah, yeah. Find out <laughs> who left this open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a place for a soft-hearted cry for, God, ow, this hurts. Please help me, you know. A soft-hearted, I'm weak, I need God's mercy, rather than, that's anger is like this hardening of like, that shouldn't have happened, you know. That, that's, that's, a, that's like the softness or hardness of our heart will be revealed in how we like stiffen ourselves in anger. Or we just, before God, go, God, this hurts, please help me. I need your help. Um... And I'm having a hard time. So that's a good maybe index of the frustrated versus a godly, needy response before God. Um, so yeah, and Bridges says, you know, like, again, the, these, um, these sins, these respectable sins, they fly under the radar. We often justify them to ourselves. We don't, we don't register them as sins, but it is sin. It's a form of ungodliness. It's atheistic, unbelieving, going, God's not here. It's just me in this cupboard and, you know... And it's like my raging against the, the universe, sort of. It's not a godly response, as though God is wise and good and in control of everything. Gary, you had something. Yes. Um, a lot of times we can just be frustrated with ourselves, our own yeah. actions. Yeah. And, and, and then rather than going to the Lord with confession that you, we did something wrong yeah. or uh, calling yourself stupid or something. You yeah. Know, it's, so frustration about your own actions. Yeah, and again, there could be a soft-hearted, like, God, I'm disappointed I did that. Can you please, you know, repair the damage and, you know, whatever. It can be a, a neediness before God versus a, just an anger at, you know, it could be anger toward ourselves or anger at whatever the consequence. Yeah, that just sort of hardens. That's a good point, yeah. So, Christina, yeah. Yeah. Especially in parenting, um, and then I can justify it because, of, like, I, like, well, I'm not yelling. I'm yeah. not hurting anybody. I could be doing I'm worse. Not, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And not recognize that it's still a weapon that, like, yeah. causing damage. It does. And it's a, we can, we can not, re, we can tell ourselves, we can hide behind the fact that we could think of worse responses. We can also hide behind the fact that we are responding to true sin. And this is a parenting or relational family thing is often people are sinning against us and they are being objectively irritating. (laughs) 
And yet, that doesn't justify a selfish, angry response toward them. And we tell ourselves that it does. We may say, this is just, I'm treating them much better than they're treating me, you know. That's not God's standard. That's not what the Holy Spirit is producing in us, Christ-likeness. Jerry Bridges hit me with conviction when he says, can you imagine Jesus talking like that with frustration in his voice, responding to somebody being irritating? I'm like, no, I can't. And there are a lot of interactions, like with my kids, where I go, wow, I may tell myself that was a justified way to respond to them, but I can't see Jesus talking that way. I couldn't see Jesus talking that way. Um, yeah, Matt. I mean, along the lines, the, the frustration that I, I know I feel when somebody is doing something sinful, I, like, if I can step back and think, of it, often I haven't told them that they're doing something sinful. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're dealing with kids, like your kids, you're, you're trying to teach them this is wrong, this yeah. is right, and they're going to disobey you from time to time. But often the frustration I know that I'm dealing with is that I haven't dealt with it properly yeah. in the first place, confronting the sin, and I'm frustrated that they're just it just keeps yeah. bugging me instead of dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. So with, again, to parenting, it's like we are training our children expect to be training children and sometimes we can expect too much like we don't expect that we have to train which means often repeatedly communicating certain things and we can just be like why don't you get this yet you know? <laughs> like why are you such why are you acting like such a child <laughs> when they are and they need training it doesn't mean they're not sinning but they need training they need that's our job before god is to train and you're right matt sometimes we're just impatient with what well, we haven't done our job to train um and we're just mad about that um yeah, combating frustration, a lot of it's the same stuff. Trusting God's sovereignty, trusting his goodness, trusting his wisdom, taking things to him in prayer that we're feeling, that, that true, even true displeasure that's legitimate that we're feeling, taking it to him in prayer, asking him to search our hearts. Uh, Jerry Bridges points to math, uh, Psalm 139.16, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Which is... Again, really kind of a, an indication of God's sovereignty and his om, omniscience. He's always known his plan. He's always known about what my life, the book that was written for my life. But that's a helpful bringing it home. Is like God had this moment written in my book, even though it violates my expectations and my desires. It doesn't violate God's good plan for me. And so I can rest in that. Um, and uh, yeah, there are other, yeah, any other, again, uh, kind of the idol, idolatry thing of what's this indicating about my heart? Frustration can be an opportunity to pull the thread and go, what's going on here, oh my soul? Um, are there idolatrous desires that are being indicated by my frustrated response? Um, why, God, asking in prayer, God, why am I getting so mad about this hindrance or this, this thing that isn't going the way I expected? What, what love, what heart loves are being denied to me or violated that is causing this level of frustration? I, I, can't, I don't feel like I can just patiently bear through this. Yeah. yeah. I think culturally we're told you can do whatever you set your mind to. Yeah. So maybe one way to counter that is to have a healthy sense of your own limitations. Yeah. And be humble about them. So yeah. that you can't assemble that IKEA furniture, maybe you can turn around and seek help. Yeah. That's a really good so that that you yeah, the assembly scenario where you're like, why doesn't the you know, this thing I'm trying to build we went into that thinking ourselves capable of doing it. Which isn't necessarily a bad assumption, but there can be a pride of like, I'm the kind of guy that can do this thing. And, uh, and um, back to First Peter 5, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Events might be telling us that we're not as 
competent as we thought. And to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God is to say, well, God, I thought I was, I thought I was the kind of guy that would have no problem with this, but I guess I was wrong, and I need your help, and I, 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 I need help from others or whatever. But, yeah, it is humbling, to, and, and there is a, a heart step of accepting with humility my expectations about myself were not appropriate, apparently. <laughs> that's hard, that's, but that's good. That's good hard work to, to take that before God, yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing we can do is just ask those around us, can you tell me if you hear, if you see or hear me exhibiting frustration? Because this can be the kind of thing we don't even realize we're doing, right? It's, again, it's an acceptable sin flying under the radar, um, so you can just ask people, can you just let me know, maybe not in the, that very moment, <laughs> maybe later that evening, just please, like a spouse or a brother or sister that you know well in the body or someone else in your family, a roommate, just say, please tell me, because I, I, I may not even realize how often I'm doing this. Um, that could be a really, helpful, a really helpful step. Let's talk about discontentment briefly. We have a few minutes left. Thankfully, we uh, talked about discontentment ad nauseum earlier this year. We did a whole series about it, um, and, and I'm, I'm teasing. I, I think it was a, a, a helpful study we did. Um, but we, so we've talked about anxiety as a fearful response about future bad stuff that might happen. Frustration is a, a, uh, an angry response about something bad that is happening, but it's more short-term. And then discontentment is like that simmering long-term anger about what is happening that I don't like. Uh, Bridges says, it often arises from ongoing and unchanging circumstances that we can do nothing about. And again, I would commend to you, we're going to be very brief on this because we did many weeks on the on discontentment from Jeremiah Burroughs' book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. That was earlier this year, I think, winter, that we did that series. Um, and But just to kind of hit it at more of a high level here, um, what are some life circumstances that can lead to discontentment? Well, Bridges suggests an unfulfilling or low-paying job. Okay, we're just stuck in this dead-end job or something like that. Singleness well into midlife or beyond. You could have discontentment about your marital status, inability to bear children, an unhappy marriage. So you are married, but you don't like the marriage you have. Physical disabilities, continued poor health. These are examples of circumstances that there's either impossible or unrighteous or, or very difficult to get out of. Um, any other kinds of things that could lead to that, that long burn kind of simmer of discontentment in our hearts? Could be relational church issues, like um, either other individuals in the body that you're disappointed with that they just don't get it or, you know, church leadership or just something about the church that really bothers you that just never is changing or something like that. Preferential things or things that really do matter. What else? Yeah, Blake. Maybe being at a job that pays the bills but you don't like. Yeah, just an unsatisfying job. Exactly. Like, you're just, you're, it's just... Uh, for whatever reason, it's not stimulating enough, it's not using your, your gifts enough, or something like that, yeah. So there's any number of things, uh, life scenarios, that that can lead to discontentment. And I'm glad you included physical disability, because this can include true suffering, 
right? And, and, and again, we don't deny that suffering is suffering. We don't deny that it's bad. Christianity, the Bible equips us to be very realistic about evil and suffering in the world and in our lives. So we don't deny that it's bad. But there is a certain way of responding that is a godless response of discontentment. Um, we, all, we all deal with, this was well established in the previous years, we all deal with discontentment about something. <laughs> it may completely dominate some people's lives and they're this, this, this like bitter, hollow shell of a person dominated by discontentment. Or it may be a little bit less dominant, but it's there. It's something that we're all, we all have to deal with. Uh, and it's respectable often because it's kind of simmering underneath the surface, underneath life. It may not have a lot of dramatic uh, manifestations, but it's just kind of quietly sapping away our vitality and our joy and our thankfulness toward God. There's just this like this 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 kind of simmering resentment. It could manifest itself in more like bitterness towards somebody else. You know, they could have more dramatic um, appearances in our lives. Um, but again, like the other two we've seen, it, it, can, it can be so sadly commonplace in our lives that we fail to register it as sin. Bridges says, um, We are so used to responding to difficult circumstances with anxiety, frustration, or discontentment that we consider them normal reactions to the varying vicissitudes of life, the, the, the normal problems and hindrances of life. We just feel like it's normal to be discontent. And... Um, and it's not. It's an ungodly response. We should be rejoicing always and thanking the Lord in every, in every circumstance. Um, now, we, we dealt with this again in the, in the previous course too. Discontentment does not mean we never desire any change of circumstances. It doesn't mean that we never pray about changes of circumstances. It's appropriate to want things we don't have. And it's appropriate to pray for things that we don't have. Or else there would be no reason to pray for anything. Um, but what is it, if, if, if discontentment is not a lack of any desire or prayer for a, cha- for a change, what is it then? If it's appropriate to want something that we don't have, what is the difference between that and discontentment? Yeah, Annalie. Sinning if you don't get it. So that's a really good indicator. Sinning if you don't get it. Um, so maybe with resentment or bitterness or something like that or thanklessness toward God if we don't get that thing yeah that's a good, that's a good yeah Zach maybe just the idea that the, the change in circumstance will <coughs> fix all of the problems yeah just feeling like the change in circumstance will fix the problem so an idolatrous kind of expectation that if this thing is delivered to me life will be utopic kind of thing yeah that's like thinking of life circumstances, like marriage. It can be very easy for single people to be like, man, I would be so happy if I had a spouse. I'm so lonely. And um, yeah, you might be lonely. I don't deny that. But, uh, and you would, it is joyful to have a, a spouse. God says that. It's true. I can verify that. But also, there are, life's problems do not, do not uh, wither and, and fall away once you have that, that thing. It will create some new problems, often by exposing sin that wasn't in me, that wasn't being exposed before. Um, so yeah, there's always every yeah every time we get that thing we absolutely needed, we'll, what we'll find is there's going to be the next thing that we absolutely need to be happy. Yeah, Matt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the biblical or godly response would be to say, "Not my will, but thine be done." Yes. Is to lay those prayers up, lay those requests mm-hmm. up, and ask for those changes in circumstances. So ultimately. 
Absolutely. Back to Jesus in the garden. That's, that, that's actually what I had in my notes. At the end of it all, a godly desire can say, your will be done with confidence that that is what we, we finally want. And, and um, I've heard someone say, Tim Keller actually passed away this week, who said, God will give you exactly what you would have prayed for if you had known everything he knows. What God will give you is everything that you would have prayed for if you knew everything that he knows. And that, it's kind of like what Newton said too. He knows better than we do what's best for us. And so contentment can earnestly appeal to God for things that we desire. But at the end of the day, it says, God, if you see better than I do that I don't need this, I can rest in that. And I can rest while I wait um, and be satisfied in you. Psalm 37, 4 Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that is not a health and wealth promise, because it's regulated by what? Delighting yourself in the Lord. He'll give you what you want. What you want, if you delight yourself in the Lord, is more of the Lord. You want more communion with him. You want more enjoyment of him. You want to behold his glory in the face of Christ more. You want a holy life. And that's what he gives you. So the, the, the primary way to fight discontentment is to delight yourself in the Lord. And to be, um, be made happy by what he does give, which is himself. Um, and then there's other just specific ways we can pinpoint what is making me discontent. And there are biblical passages that address a lot of these things. Bridges talks a little bit about his own disability. He's kinda, he had a couple of moderate disabilities that added difficulty to his life. And uh, physical disabilities, I mean. And, and he was really ministered to by Psalm 139.13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And he's like, yeah, even, the, even these disabilities, even though they're a product of the fall, they're not good, but they're part of God's good plan for me. And he had planned out even it, before I was born exactly how he would knit me together and what, even what difficulties I would have, but it's all part of his good purpose for me. So find the biblical texts that deal with that thing that you're, that you're desiring. What, again, what is it about the character of God? What is it about his... Commitment to us in Christ, um, the gospel work of Christ to reconcile us to God, um, that God is for us in Christ. What are, what are the truths out of that treasury that we need to apply to this area of discontentment? That's the heart work that needs to happen to meditate, to pray on those things. Um, so just for the sake of time, I want to wrap this up and say we've, we've looked at three different ways that basically we respond negatively to, we respond sinfully to negative circumstances, whether anticipated with the fear of anxiety, whether actually being lived out in frustration or discontentment. At the end of the day, all these things are a breakdown of trust in the Lord, a breakdown of trust in his sovereignty, his power, um, his goodness, and his wisdom. And like Christina said, not just that he's out there, uh, all these things out there, but that in Christ he's all these things for us. He is our God. He's with us. Um, and if we've felt the pangs of conviction today in studying these sins, I do want to remind you about the cross, that uh, for those of us who are in Christ, he has paid the penalty for all of our anxiety and ungodly anger and grumbling, and he has uh, made, made an endless provision for the forgiveness of our sins uh, for all of us who believe and all of us who continue to confess our sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive. Um, and again, it's in his gospel work. He's not only made provision to cancel away the record of our sin, but to equip us by the power of his spirit to fight this sin and to, um, we may feel like this, these sins are too great for me. They are too great for you. They're not too great for the Holy Spirit that God has given you and dwelling you and giving life in you. 
Um, so, so that to encourage you, God is working in you, and um, and uh, he he will continue the work he began in you. So let's let's close in prayer, and I would love to interact with you later after class if there's any ways that that would be helpful. Father God, we we praise you for being our God and being so powerful and so full of goodness and wisdom in all of your providential dealings in our lives. We pray that we would have hearts that rest in you fundamentally. All these sins would go away if we would simply rest in you and delight ourselves in you. So please help us to do that and, and purify us of these things so that you would be magnified in our lives and we would just have more joy and more fruitfulness for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.